From the nation's capital, this is D.C. Public Safety. I'm your host, Leonard Seip. Ladies and gentlemen, today's topic, social media doing emergencies. Does government have the ability to correct bad information? I am honored today to have Craig Silverman. He is the founding editor of BuzzFeed Canada. He is at Twitter at Craig Silverman. Uh, to say that this is an extraordinarily important topic is an understatement. Craig wrote a document, Lies, Damn Lies, and Viral Content. It was funded by the Toe Center for Digital Journalism and the Knight Foundation, and throughout this radio show, a great a radio show of great importance and immense complexity, I want us to focus on three things. A, how do we address misinformation? B, what can we do about misinformation? And C, if we had a dirty bomb that went off in your area, we practice this all the time when I was with the Maryland Emergency Management, what does what are the implications for the public safety in the surrounding area? Craig, welcome to D.C. Public Safety. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to have you with the World Economic Forum in 2014, according to your report. Top trends, viral misinformation. The World Economic Forum is saying viral misinformation is one of the top trends um, in the world, correct? Yes, that's right. It made their list of the people that they had uh, asked to to fill out kind of a survey. People from around the world um, put that in the top ten. That's amazing. Now, misinformation, regardless as to it's an emergency or not, is standard practice in today's media world. Is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, you know, when you have a world of kind of decentralized media where people can easily publish instantly from a smartphone, can easily start to make something, uh, you know, gather attention and, and virality through social networks, we end up getting a lot of stuff that circulates that simply isn't true. Um, and, you know, we've, we, there have always been rumors. People have always traded in information that had a, you know, a questionable level of veracity or that was in that kind of early emerging stage where we, you don't know if it's true or not. Um, and what happens today is, you know, these natural kind of human tendencies that we have to pass along information, to share information, um, it, it, it can really go like wildfire because we have, live in a network society. And so there is a huge amount of misinformation that gets out there, and it uh, can very easily be seen as true by a lot of people. And um, once it starts fooling influential folks, such as people in the press or people, um, you know, in influential positions in government or other places, then it really starts to be uh, seen as true. And so it's, it's, a, it's a big priority, I think, in newsrooms to, to do a better job of, of understanding the dynamics of, of rumor and misinformation. And, and I think for the folks that, that you talk to and in the roles that, that you're in, it's also critically important. But it's compounded doing an emergency. If we have a hard time correcting bad information on Facebook and Twitter and the other social media platforms, if it gets in the newsrooms, newsrooms end up repeating it. That's on a day-to-day -day basis, that's a tough nut to crack. But when there's an emergency, um, if I'm driving in my car uh, when I was with Maryland Emergency Management, equipped with lights and siren, they say there's a problem. I have to drive to the problem where we're setting up a media briefing center. And while driving, and it's going to take me an hour and a half to get there under the best of circumstances, the rumor goes off that there is a dirty bomb. I don't have a snowball's chance in Hades of putting out that rumor. I mean, I'm driving to the scene. Doing an emergency, this stuff flows fast and furious. Absolutely, it does. And, and so, you know, obviously my area of expertise is not in emergency management. But, you know, the first thing that comes to mind to me is, as you're describing that scenario is, 
you know, there are there are certainly some physical responsibilities, um, you know, in-person communication, uh, going to to scenes, evaluating what's going on. You know, there's there's that piece of it, and I and I would hope that people involved in this in this world also think about setting up kind of you know social media command centers to a certain point to monitor the information that's coming out of that specific area, um, you know, where a disaster might have happened or there are reports of a disaster, but also looking at kind of you know the larger networks and 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 monitoring keywords and other things to sort of see okay what are people talking about and you know there's there's kind of a twofold purpose in it and this is has some overlap with newsrooms you know on the one hand uh, there are people who are just simply closer to the problem closer to what's going on than you are if you're in your car driving over what have you and they may have access to a smartphone they may be on Twitter they may be on Instagram and so you know there's a huge amount of information that could be coming out in real time from the critical area or from people who have a certain level of expertise and knowledge um, and and they may be going to social networks to put that out there and then you know the other side of it aside from kind of gathering information is is you want to use these channels of course to push out quality information um, and I think that you know through both of those things you know the monitoring of, of information you should be looking at at rumors and claims that are out there and trying to triangulate the information and compare it to the information that you have coming in from your other sources um, and on the other side in terms of communicating information you want to think about well what you know what we know this rumor is circulating we know that it's true we know that it's false or maybe we don't know whether it's true, what can we put out to sort of give some context and to help um, in the process of people understanding and making sense of the situation. So I think in the scenario you describe, you know, you're in the car driving as fast as you can to get there. I would hope that there are colleagues who are really monitoring social media not only to gather additional information to provide to you as you give your briefings or what have you, but also to really see if there are things that are starting to take flight that may not be true or that you really need to look more into to see whether they're true or not. Well, even when it's not doing an emergency, I would contend that most of us in emergency management throughout the United States, most of us within the criminal justice system throughout the United States, we do not have these specialized teams um, set up to, to do that analysis. And the question becomes whether or not we are all sophisticated enough and do we have our own personal social media accounts and do we have enough of them? I mean, it may be Twitter, uh, it may be Facebook, but it could be an endless um, number of other uh, that are putting out this misinformation. It would take somebody savvy. It would take somebody who has already has social media accounts, um, and it would take an almost instantaneous network of people to begin to compare notes before we could put out these fires. Yeah, um, and you know, and this is one of the things uh, that that it goes to a point that's really, really important. And I, I worked on a, a project with the European Journalism Center, something called the Verification Handbook, where we were actually um, it was a document oriented towards uh, newsrooms, but also humanitarian workers, and helping them kind of verify information in real time in emergency scenarios. And uh, and one of the things that became very clear as as you know, we talked to a journalist with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, you know. She she talked about their experience dealing with wildfires in mm -hmm. Australia, and 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 I'm sure that this this probably isn't news to you. But one of the things that became very clear from talking to her is that, you know, what you do before the emergency happens dictates how well you're going to happen, how well you're going to handle it and cover it in the moment. And so, in these scenarios, rather than trying to figure out who on the team has got social media accounts or what have you, obviously, you know, it has to become a, the, the part of the planning process. What are the channels we're going to use? Like, wh what are the ones that are most important? 
important to use in terms of getting news out in real time. I would say that Twitter is a very important one because that's where people tend to look for kind of real-time information. Yes. Facebook is obviously where the most amount of people are, um, and Facebook is doing a lot of work to be seen as more real-time and, and more hospitable to real-time, so a Facebook page is also really important. And I think, you know, is setting this stuff up ahead of time of, you know, where are we going to communicate this information? Who is going to own these channels? And what are we going to use these channels for? Um, those are really, really important things to think about much, you know, much sooner than before you get the reports that, that a dirty bomb has gone off. And so figuring out who on the team has expertise in this area, figuring out what accounts exist or need to be set up, and then how you're going to use those. I mean, those are, those are really just as important as, as all the other pieces of preparation um, that, that are going to be done because not only is it important for, again, for getting the information out, but if people know that this is a trusted source and a, and a place where good information is coming from, then they may actually bring intelligence and information to you, and it becomes a place where people can start to contribute. So it, again, gets that kind of two-way thing going, which is um, really, really important and useful. But I think you would agree that this is not necessarily a – there's no piece of technology out there that's going to solve this. I've been also looking at magazines, and different companies are offering emergency social media analysis hardware software i don't think this is a matter of hardware software i think this is a matter of as you said before preparation having trained people in place and the ability to instantaneously sit at a computer and analyze social media and instantaneously contact each other this is something that's not going to involve one or two or three people this is something that's going to involve in some cases in some cases up to 20 or 30 people who can instantaneously drop what they're doing go to the computer start searching hash Hashtags, start sharing information with each other. Uh, that involves a pretty high degree of sophistication and and preparation and technology that they have to uh, that they have to have with them practically at all times. Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely. Uh, I mean, I, th I think you know you need an internet connection and um, you know and things like say TweetDeck or Hootsuite or, or things like that. You know, in terms of, of the tools, but it, there is a there is a lot of it that goes down to training and expertise. There's a lot of it that is the human factor. You know, you need to have access and basic knowledge of the tools, but then you also need to have people who are well trained. And I, I think actually a small group of people can can achieve a lot. And and the, the larger you get, like once you get beyond say five people, it becomes very hard to coordinate those folks, and you might have people duplicating effort in the, in the scenario of monitoring social media uh, and analyzing it. And so, I, you know, ideally you have some specialists in this area um, who can get on that and watch for it. And I think you know, there's there's the technology piece, but what you bring up is kind of the human piece of it, and and that's really really important when we're talking about rumors and misinformation. There are some really basic human needs that are filled by rumors, and that's why we have so many of them, particularly in emergency and disaster scenarios. You know, when when humans lack a certain amount of information when it's a very confusing scenario and there's lots of conflicting information, what, we're, what we try to do is we try to make sense of the world. You know, we, we, it makes us very uncomfortable to not have information, especially in a kind of critical scenario. And it's, and it's very tough for our brains to process conflicting information. And so what we naturally try to do is to make sense of this scenario. And that often causes us, you know, as we talk with other people to sort of come up with, well, maybe it's because of this or maybe it's because of that. And we all put our pieces of information together and that's where we start to 
you know, to create and propagate rumors. And so it's, it's important for everyone to kind of understand that there is, you know, this human need that rumors can often fill, especially in emergency scenarios where there's kind of a, a real imminent threat there. Uh, and, and understand that rumors aren't necessarily people who are, you know, trying to put out false information. It's people who mean well, who are engaging in this process of sense making, trying to figure it out. Um, and especially, you know, when it's hurricanes or things like that, um, and there's high anxiety, um, it actually is a way, is a coping mechanism in a lot of ways um, for us to fill in the gaps, the things that we don't have, um, the information we don't have, and to put that out there. And so you'll see this happening on Twitter and on social media is people, you know, asking questions, interacting with each other, latching on to little scraps of information that come out um, that seem to make sense to them that they then propagate. And, and I think everyone should have like a basic understanding of, of why rumor is such a basic kind of human um, element, particularly in these scenarios. And whenever you have things like, you know, bombings or hurricanes, natural disasters, they're going to be there. And it's, it's the human engine, um, emotions and, and brain and, and those kinds of things that are driving these rumors. So, you know, tools and technologies are important, but understanding human behavior is always really, really big in this kind of scenario. Well, there's also sources of purposeful misinformation. One of the things when I was learning how to do green screen television is that I realized that I could, I could buy readily available footage from elsewhere. I can do a green screen television shoot, um, and it'll look exactly like... Like any other news program, it'll look and feel and smell and taste like a real news program, and I can purposely put out misinformation, and sites purposely putting out misinformation. I refer to the photos of sharks swimming in the streets of uh, Sandy Hook Mm -hmm. after Hurricane Sandy. I mean, that we have that level of complexity to deal with as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, and one of the things in the research uh, that I did that, that I focused on uh, were uh, what I called fake news websites. So these are websites, you know, where somebody's taken a basic WordPress template or, you know, web template, and, and it looks like a real news website. The articles are written with a newsy kind of voice and tone to them, but everything on the website is fake. Um, and and there were what I saw in my research was that they could have, you know, articles that could get hundreds of thousands of shares, um, driving a significant amount of traffic. And what they often, you know, what their strategy basically is, is they're trying to to monetize uh, gullibility. So they come up with, you know, fake articles about celebrities or about um, what I saw when Ebola was, you know, a a real threat in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, They did a lot of fake articles about, you know, one of them reported that an entire Texas town had been quarantined because a family had contracted Ebola. Completely fake, of course. Um, But it, it got a huge amount of shares. And so, of course, you know, that sends people to their website. They have ads on the pages, and they, they earn money that way. And so there are certainly people who are consciously trying to spread misinformation, um, whether it's you know fake news websites doing it to earn money, or perhaps there are you know people who um, you know who have a malicious intent in, in other ways. And and that's that's certainly something that's going to emerge and come out there. There are people who sometimes though it's you know people are spreading fake information, but it's not necessarily with malicious intent. And this is a really hard thing, in particular for journalists to understand. Because we assume that everybody, you know, why would somebody knowingly put out something that was fake? And the answer that a lot of these hoaxers give is that, you know, again, it's it's kind of like a stress relief for them to just sort of, you know, put out a, a joking image. And so unintentionally, they put it out thinking everyone will know it. it's, it's a joke and have a laugh, but people start to take it and treat it as real. And so, again, there's like this, this kind of release valve that people need in these very anxiety-inducing scenarios where they'll often put something out like that. 
And it's, it is something to be aware of. It's important to be aware of the fact that rumors are absolutely going to emerge in these scenarios, 100% guaranteed in an emergency response scenario, um, natural disaster scenario, what have you. Rumors will abound, no question about it. There will also be people who intentionally or otherwise put out misinformation. And so, you know, one is the monitoring aspect of this. And then the second piece um, where journalists also need to really raise their skill level is the verification piece of it. So mm-hmm. you see a tweet and somebody's made a claim. How do you figure out if that's true or not? And, and this is a skill area where the more people who can know how to use some tools and some basic approaches to, to figure out whether it's true or false, the better off we're all going to be as a society. There's a fascinating part of your report where basically you're saying that there's an economic model for anything that delivers clicks to a website and that the incentives are all wrong, which is one of the reasons why we're having uh, this problem to begin with. But we're more than halfway through an extraordinarily entertaining and informative program. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig Silverman is by our microphones, founding editor of BuzzFeed Canada. You can reach him at Twitter at Craig Silverman. Uh, the report itself, Lies, Damn Lies, and Viral Content, again, funded by the Tove Center for Digital Journalism and the Knight Foundation. Extraordinarily fascinating read. Find it on the internet if you were interested interested in rumor control, if you're interested in emergency management, you must go to the website and get lies, damn lies, uh, and viral content and read it. Um, Craig, now we have a 30% reduction in reporters over the last 10 years. So where we've relied upon media in the past to assess rumors and correct information internally, their ranks have been depleted tremendously. The reporters who I work with are doing more than ever before with less than ever before. So the media that we counted on in the past to verify and to figure out what is correct information, what is incorrect information with our help from people who are directly at the scene because of their fewer numbers, it's very hard for them to to complete this task. It's very hard for them to be the gatekeeper. It, you know, it, it is. Um, and and um, one of the things that the reason I do things like the verification handbook and, and the lies, damn lies report is because I see that there's a lack of these skills in the newsroom. So the, of the journalists that are left, they, they absolutely are overloaded with different things, and they don't, and they haven't been given training in verification of, of social media content and things like that. And so, you know, I think you, you do have to, in these scenarios, look at uh, newsrooms as, as an important, you know, channel and partner in these things. But I also do think you have to look at the reality that you just articulated and say, you know, we, we are going to be a source as well, and we're not just going to feed things through the media. We have to be able to be a credible, reliable, consistent source ourselves. Um, and, and I think that that's a really important thing to realize and to think about what that's going to take in terms of resources and training on your own. Now, I mean, all that being said, I, you know, one of the pieces of advice that we give to newsrooms in terms of preparing for, you know, disaster coverage is you need to think about all of the critically important, um, you know, government agencies, first responders, um, experts in your area, and you need to create, um, you know, a line of communication with them ahead of time. And so so I think it goes both ways in that, you know, absolutely, you should be thinking about who are the newsrooms, um, you know, like, a, you know, AP being, you know, one that's all over the country. So how do we get a direct line into AP to make sure that we're communicating with them well and thinking about locally, who are the critical local 
um, sources as well, and setting up those lines of communication to say, you know, when we have something important, we're going to get it to you in this form. And for the journalists, you know, to tell them and say, when you have an important question, when you know something, here is how you get that to us. Because I think when we're talking about these kinds of scenarios of, you know, emergency situations, um, some of the, um, I don't know, mutual suspicion or distrust that tends to be there, it recedes a little bit because everybody's in it together to try and get the best possible information out to the public as possible, to tell the people who need to evacuate that they need to evacuate and to make sure that it's not a false order and so on. And so I think that you'll find in these scenarios, newsrooms do want to be a very good partner figuring out, you know, the method of communication, um, helping them understand what kind of information they can rely on from your particular office um, and which other places they might need to go for other information is very important. And then, of course, thinking about how you are going to get your information, not just out through the media, but through, you know, like we talked about, a Twitter account, a Facebook page, um, other means um, to make sure that it's getting uh, out there as, as, as much as possible. The bottom um, line and, for government yeah. is that we have to have a core of digital specialists who are extremely sophisticated about social media, extremely sophisticated in terms of following the media, who already have these accounts set up, who are ready to go at a moment's notice. What you're saying is, is that we can do it with, with a small number. So let's just say five to ten. We have to be digital specialists. We have to really know social media. We have to know its implications. We have to know who's out there. Uh, and we have to be on the various platforms. I agree with you with Facebook and, and Twitter, but in Instagram is rising in popularity uh, more yes. than anybody ever anticipated. And others uh, are, are, I mean, Periscope, there's all sorts of things out there that are just exploding, and we have to be knowledgeable of them all. We in the media and we within government and we within emergency management must become digital media experts. Absolutely. And, you know, and you have to you have to think like a newsroom in some ways, particularly when there's kind of an active scenario going on. Um, you know, you, this is it, you have to think about how you're communicating the information and how um, and, and one of the other pieces that's really important. And, and this is talked about in, in the report is, um, you know, deciding at what point you're ready to communicate a piece of information and newsrooms. What I was talking about in the sense of, you know, there's so much information that's circulating online um, and uh, circulating on social networks, and it may have news value, and it may be of interest, and it may get them clicks. But what newsrooms have to figure out is, well, what's what's your bar for when you'll actually cover something? You know, do you need to have it 100% nailed down, or will you just take anything that's circulating and put some hedging language and saying, well, this is popular on Reddit. We don't know if it's true, but have a look at this photo, you know? And and so I think it's important for, for government agencies and communicators as well to think about that. Okay, so if we're going to be a source of information in this scenario, what what level of veracity, you know, what level of confirmation do we need to put something out? Are we only going to put out stuff that is 100% nailed down, or are we actually going to engage and say, there's a rumor circulating that this is happening in this area of the city. Um, as of right now, we have no information um, to confirm that. And, you know, and thinking about how you're going to engage on that level is, I think, a really important thing. Um, but but overall, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's no way to do this kind of work today without having people on your team who are social media savvy, who are good at monitoring, who are good at assessing, who are good at verifying, and who are good at communicating. And these are these are absolutely core skills. And there are definitely tools and things that can help you. Um, but a, a lot of it comes down to human decision making and figuring out what your processes are and what your standards are, just like newsrooms have to do. But even in your report, when you mentioned Larry King, um, was he? Uh, 
criticized CNN, his own network, in terms of Flight 370, the Indonesian airliner that went down. Uh, he criticized their coverage of that as absurd. And we say in the report that there is an economic model that anything that drives clicks to a website, the incentives, fiscal incentives, financial incentives are all wrong. So uh, this is a challenge. This is a challenge for media. It's a challenge for us to put it together. And I guess what you're saying is, is that not only do, what, must we train amongst ourselves, we've got to get together with media and figure all this out ahead of time and have the protocols in place so bad information doesn't get out, information that's going to harm literally thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that preparation piece, we keep coming back to it because, uh, because it's so essential. Um, and, you know, for, for the folks that, that this uh, particular conversation is, is targeted at, you know, I don't know that their incentives are as misaligned as they are in a lot of newsrooms in the sense that, you know, a lot of newsrooms today, digital newsrooms, you know, they value, um, you know, the, the number of views and clicks you get. And if you take the extra time to kind of nail something down and find out that it's not real, then, you know, you get no clicks for that because uh, because you'll you'll you know you haven't gotten the story and other people may get it first and so in newsrooms you know, what they have to recalibrate is you know well what do we value do we value getting the most clicks on a story or do we value being the ones who said no 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 this story is fake and putting that out there and showing that we're trusted and building that up over time and you know I, I work at uh, BuzzFeed now I, I joined BuzzFeed after I did the fellowship that led to the report we're talking about and you know for me BuzzFeed obviously is an organization you know drives a huge amount of traffic, um, covers a huge amount of stuff that's viral. Um, and what I saw before I joined is is a shift that had been happening culturally internally at BuzzFeed over the last couple of years, whereby rather than just, you know, finding anything and being first to it and getting it up first, um, the culture had shifted towards, you know, asking questions, reaching out, doing verification, and not having fake stuff on the site. Um, you know, a more journalistic culture has taken hold in BuzzFeed as they've been hiring people people in news. Um, and, you know, I, as I say, I don't know exactly what the incentives are in, in the world of the folks who are here, but I assume that it's probably, there's probably not as much pressure around clicks and far more to be lost in terms of reputation if a government agency or someone or, a, you know, a specialized company doing emergency response is putting out fake information. I mean, you know, that that is a, a game changer for them. Whereas, you know, a single journalist, if they make one mistake, they can sort of move on. But for a government agency, putting out false information in emergency is, you know, that's almost game over because of the amount of credibility it has. In the final minutes of the program, and there's so much I wanted to get to, but I'm not going to be able to get to it today. The more we care about a rumor, the more we have a stake, the more we participate in that rumor, uh, the more we care about a topic, the more like we are, we are to spread rumors. Uh, and the more likely we are to uh, likely to believe it's true. So we cherry pick information that we hear, that we come into contact with. And if it fits our preconceived notion of the world, there's a good possibility that we will spread that rumor. Uh, we will believe it and spread it. Um, so part of this is the psychology of the people who are reading and assessing this stuff for themselves. And what you're warning is that you've got to be very careful in debunking the rumor. You can't go after the person. You have to go after the facts, and there is a strong set of psychological principles that apply. 
Yes, there's there's a lot going on here in terms of um, why somebody would choose to propagate a rumor. Um, you know, if it aligns with um, existing knowledge and if existing beliefs that they have, they are more likely to believe it and to propagate it. Um, if it fits with suspicions they have, if it fits with their worldview, again, they're more likely to put it out there than more likely to believe it. Um, and another thing that people should note also about rumors is like there is often a connection between repetition and believability. So the more that someone is exposed to rumor, the more that any skepticism they might have about it starts to erode. Um, there have been studies about kind of like the number of times somebody was exposed to a rumor, they start to believe it even more. Uh, and that's amazing. And it, it is. I mean, and it's and it just shows how important it is that you know uh, so many of us um, news organizations, you know, government communicators and other communicators, how we understand that we have to get out there early, and we have to you know when we see things, we have to talk about it and engage and warn people off of this stuff, and so then that gets us into the, the realm of debunking that you brought up, which is you know so how do you do this effectively without in effect kind of repeating the rumor so much that people still ignore your debunking? Um, so one, as you mentioned, is uh, people who've, who've pushed out a false rumor, you don't want to attack them. You don't want to personalize it. You want to debunk the idea and not the person is what people often say. So that's very important. Don't go around shaming people. Make it easy for them to kind of let go of this thing that they put out there and that they believed. Um, it's also really important to try to minimize the amount of times that you're kind of repeating the false information. So you want to express the truth in a more positive way. So like a small example of this, rather than saying Barack Obama is not a Muslim, you would want to say Barack Obama is a Christian. And, and that's the more positive reinforcement of the correct information. So it's also important, of course, to get out there early. It's important to do it in a positive way, to not attack people. It's important to also think about how you can connect with other trusted sources to get this information out there. And, and what, what I mean by that is if somebody is propagating a rumor because it aligns with, say, a political belief, a personal belief, some kind of orientation, if you can get other organizations that that person might be Perceived, perceived to be as aligned with their beliefs and have that organization help you with pushing out the debunking, then you've got a much better chance of getting it out there. If they have suspicion about the government, then you should talk to other local organizations that aren't seen as government organizations to get them to push it out there as well, whether that's a Red Cross or you know a local um, chamber of commerce. Think about all these different channels, how people who might be skeptical of government might actually listen to one of these other channels. All right, Craig, you've got the final word. There's so much here to discuss. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested in emergency management, if you're interested in relations with the media, if you're interested in rumor control, please go to Lies, Damn Lies, and Viral Content, easily found on the internet. It is one of the most fascinating reads that I've had within my 40 years within the criminal justice system. We've talked to Craig Silverman today. Twitter at Craig Silverman, founding editor of BuzzFeed Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, this is DC Public Safety. We appreciate your comments. We even appreciate your criticisms and we want everybody to have themselves a very pleasant day.